Hi, I'm Ivalice Page, and thanks for listening to the Believe Big Podcast, the show where we take a deep dive into your healing with health experts, integrative practitioners, biblical faith leaders, and cancer thrivers from around the globe. Welcome to today's episode on the Believe Big Podcast. My name is Eva Lise Page, and I am so honored to be able to spend this time with you. Did you know that the extract from the mistletoe plant you see around Christmas time has been used for over 100 years for cancer treatment? Well, today's show is all about this amazing plant. Mistletoe therapy is especially meaningful to me as I believe it was one of the key aspects to my protocol that helped me overcome a stage four colon cancer diagnosis 13 years ago. I am excited for you to hear from my friend and one of the leading experts of this therapy today. Dr. Steven Johnson directed one of the first inpatient integrative medicine clinics in the United States and now directs the first European mistletoe integration, integrative medicine training program in North America. He is currently the president of the Physicians of Association for Anthroposophic Medicine and founder of the Foundation of Health Creation. Currently, Dr. Johnson works part-time in private practice at Collaborative Medical Arts in upstate New York. He's an avid student of medicinal botany and serves as a consultant for an integrative and anthroposophic pharmacy. He is also the co-author of one of my new favorite books, Mistletoe and the Emerging Future of Integrative Oncology. Welcome, Stephen, to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having <laughs> yeah. me. Before we get into mistletoe, I always like to hear from our guests what their favorite health tip is. Can you share one of yours with us? Sure. Might be a little unusual. <laughs> it's okay. I think when I work with my patients, one of my most famous health tips is do something new, change a habit, change something that, and do it differently than you have before. Mm. You know, I, I, that kind of evolved in me as I working with oncology patients, also watching how the approach to diet has changed over the last 21 years. And, you know, almost every diet seemed to work. And I, I sort of started to realize, sure, diet is good and eating good nutrition is very important and improves health, but also the fact that people put in that effort, that will, and they change something about themselves and they're active with it. I found that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. So if you can really change something in relation to your health, whether it's psychological health or physical health, I think that's how you get to the root of really changing something or changing a dynamic. In your health. I love that. I, I think one of the best um, advice that I got when I was going through my cancer journey, you know, changing just one thing is, is huge. And sometimes we can get overwhelmed with so much that is going on in our bodies and we get overwhelmed by suggestions and recommendations from people. But if we just start with one thing, as you're saying, you know, it, it doesn't take over our life and, you know, our quality of life is just as important as the process, I believe. And, you know, if we spend our entire day in treatments, trying this and trying that, then the cancer wins. And so I feel like what you just shared is so vital for patients to hear because, you know, just do one thing at a time, one step at a time, and, and you'll get to where you need to be. So that's, that's excellent advice. 
So let's get into it. I love mistletoe, as you know, and I wanted to see if you could share with us briefly. There's so much about it. And if someone wants to go into more detail, they can get your book. And we'll share the link to that in our notes if for those who are interested in, in, in purchasing one for themselves. But can you share with us briefly about mistletoe and its history in cancer? Sure. Mistletoe, of course, goes way, way back. I mean, all the way to Paracelsus, who's often considered the first physician. Hanuman in homeopathy talked about mistletoe. It was certainly in, in many folk medicines. But I think it was... Uh, Rudolf Steiner and Dr. Ida Wegman uh, at the initiation of anthroposophic medicine when that began, who first made the suggestion that we should look at mistletoe as a plant for malignancy. And long story short, through, through a lot of different studies and experiments, also looking at the plant phenomenologically, I don't know if we ever want to go into that, how one looks at a plant and sees that relationship to an illness but they found many constituents in the mistletoe that had, you know, effects on the immune system, immune regulation. I'll say the word immune surveillance a lot, which means heightening the body's awareness of an atypical process like a cancer and being able to go after it, as well as apoptosis of cancer cells. So since then, there's been over 100 studies. And uh, yeah, and that's... I love that where we are today. And now we have some very large studies going on in relationship to mistletoe. As you yes, know. yes, yes. Can you share with our audience what these studies are showing? I think the first, and I think it's important to say that natural substances are difficult to do research on. And I, I don't mean it in any cynical way. It's just that if you can't patent something that's naturally in nature, no one's going to spend $100 million on a study, and it almost costs that much to do a study that is, quote-unquote, accepted as a excellent A-level double-blind study, right? So we have that as a, as a challenge. And yet, there's been over 100 studies on viscum album, which is mistletoe. Viscum album just means a certain type of mistletoe that, that is very common in Central Europe that have shown different kinds of benefits. I think there's probably six to eight studies that you could say are very high quality by modern standards, and many of the other ones are very good, but you might call them B-level studies simply because of the size. You know, they're not thousands and thousands. But the, the common denominator, I would say, in all the studies is quality of life that mistletoe improves parameters, whether on conventional therapy or not on conventional therapy in relation to things like sleep, appetite, weight gain, mood, sense of vitality, brain fog, you know, things like this, that those studies have scored consistently high over and over again. Yes, yes. And it's so exciting. And as you know, Believe Big collaborated with the John Hopkins School of Medicine to launch the first mistletoe clinical trial in the United States. Believe Big was excited to share in April with our supporters that phase one was finally completed. Dr. Poller, who is the lead investigator, is currently evaluating that data for those who are interested and will soon be releasing the findings. So we're all very excited about hearing those specific findings. But one thing that she said that I can share with you and those who are listening is that they have found the maximum tolerated dose, which is the recommended dose to proceed for with phase two. 
And they, that also they can say that not only has intravenous mistletoe therapy shown proven to be safe for cancer patients, but the initial data is showing improved quality of life as well. It's so exciting. It's exactly what you were just saying. Getting back to mistletoe and the specific cancers, is mistletoe effective for all types of cancers? I think the full answer to that is not done yet. (laughs) (laughs) As far as quality of life issues, we could say yes, but certainly there's a higher percentage of benefit in the solid tumors. There are benefits being shown especially when it's used adjuvantly, which means accompanying other treatments, whether it's conventional or integrative. Some good strides with lymphoma, leukemia a little less, but still some cases where it's been helpful adjuvantly. I think in general, as far as the common categories people know, that's that's how I would... Yeah, and I've heard mixed messages from different individuals about brain cancer and the blood-brain barrier and how mistletoe is affected with that. Is it effective for brain cancer or would that be put in the side of quality of life as well? I think it's primarily quality of life, but I think we've had some instances where people with, for instance, metastasis to the nervous system of the brain have received some benefits. I think the hardest part is that it's hard to study because one has to be a little cautious with mistletoe because of its inflammatory effects, which is part of how we heal tumors and illness holistically. That's part of how the body heals and mistletoe facilitates that. So there's definitely been some small studies showing some support with brain metastasis and cancer. However, we don't have large numbers because you have to be quite careful about it. So many doctors are cautious. So there's not a lot of people attempting to treat that. So I would cautiously say, I wouldn't overtly say, oh, yes, it's absolutely for that. But there may be some cases where it's useful and we'll learn more in years to come. I know there's one or two studies that are pending if they get the funding to study just Mm -hmm. that. You've shared mistletoe is effective as an adjuvant, especially to chemotherapy and radiation. What about immunotherapy drugs? Again, because the use of immunotherapy drugs is fairly new, There's not many, many years to observe them together, but in the European clinics where we can see a lot of side-by-side treatments, you know, that patients are followed in a a more academic clinical setting, there have not been a lot of side effects. I think some people have recommended, hey, maybe when you start a new immunotherapy, give it two weeks on its own or or use a weaker or low-dose mistletoe until you're sure also that they're doing well on that other therapy because there's many side effects that potentially with immunotherapy, then you can ease in mistletoe and observe that there's no interactions. But now after a few years, nobody is coming out and saying that there have been major interactions. So we're feeling pretty good about it. And we are using them together right now. That's great. Without issues. So that's great to yeah. know with immunotherapy drugs. But when you know, when do you suggest as a physician is the best time to begin mistletoe therapy? Always as soon as possible. (laughs) I mean, the challenge for mistletoe practitioners and all integrative practitioners is the majority of people are afraid to use it or don't come until they're in late stages of their illness. When most treatments, it would be a challenge, Mm -hmm. right, to treat the cancer. So the earlier we're on board, the better. I mean, there's 
not only the quality of life issues, which indirectly affect health, right? When you feel good, your immune system operates better, but also when the tumor burden is smaller, the immune system has a much more efficient way of taking hold of that and bringing that under control than if the tumor burden is much larger. doesn't mean you can't heal in late stage disease, but it's tougher, right? It takes more out of the body and it takes more treatment. So as soon as possible, really. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that's one of the things that we're trying to do at Believe Big is to spread the word and to share the information and let patients know what their options are that they can choose from the onset. And that way they are getting off on the right foot from the very beginning and not having to backtrack. Because there's no side effects, not to repeat, mm -hmm. but because there's no, almost no, so few interactions with conventional therapy, it's not going to inhibit any effects we know that of any other therapy, most any other therapy you're on. Yes. So you know, that's often a worry. Yes. Yes. And, and I think that gives people peace of mind that, you know, there are many ways as you've shared that you can use mistletoe therapy. You can use it on its own as I did before surgery and post-surgery. You can use it alongside of treatment and even post-treatment. This is a question that I always like to ask the physicians we work with because it's so personal to me. I'm still on mistletoe therapy 13 years post-cancer and as it's shown to reduce the risk of recurrence and especially with genetic cancers like I had. So what is your philosophy on how long this therapy should be applied? Sure. And in, in fairness, I think different doctors would answer the question differently, yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. I have some patients who've been on mistletoe therapy for 15 mm -hmm. years. I have others who just decide to stop it once things are going in a better direction or they're in remission and they don't want to take it anymore. But there are many patients who just sense that they feel better on the mistletoe and so we will use it for long periods of time, also because certain types of cancers can reoccur even after five yeah. years. Certainly the three to five year marker is a, a major time when some people might stop and then others may go on preventatively. And I think that has a lot to do with how the patient is feeling on the mistletoe, a sort of sense of wellness, uh, improved vitality, so in those patients, we would use it longer, not as often, like we would probably give it less yeah. often. They wouldn't be taking it every week, three or four times. We would have pauses between administration and mistletoe. We would take breaks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. I can tell you, I just feel so much better. I've tried to go off of it um, sometimes and, and I just didn't feel as good. And I just feel like I have nothing to lose and everything to gain. And which brings me to the cost of, of mistletoe, which is very affordable. And I think that's one aspect that I really love about this therapy, especially the sub-Q injections, is that it, it's affordable for patients. Can you share with those listening on average what a patient would spend on mistletoe uh, a month? Yes. Sub-Q, depending on the type of mistletoe used, it might be somewhere between 80 and $150. Mm -hmm. It could approach 200 but that's for an injectable that's sterilely made. So that's pretty good. Yeah. And, and IVs, those range depending on how often a patient's doing it, the, the dosage that they're doing. But on average, what would you say, like three to $500 in infusion? Yeah, it does. It has a lot to do with the dosage for sure. I've seen them as low as 150 and as high as $400. <laughs> so probably 200 
range. Yeah. Something in that is what I hear most people are, are charging, uh, depending on how much mistletoe is being used, because there is some cost in very high dosing. And some people for a short period do very high dosing. So, yeah. So that leads me to my next question is, how would a patient know or how do you decide who goes on subcutaneous injections of mistletoe versus the intravenous mistletoe. I know when I was going through my cancer journey, the intravenous mistletoe was not available. What are the recommendations today to determine what's best for a patient? I know it's individualized, but in your opinion, how do you decide that? There's different reasons I would decide it. I would say if we can keep a patient stable and they're making good progression on the sub-Q, there's not necessarily a dire reason to push intravenous therapy, especially if the mistletoe is adjuvant to other therapies and it's working. So like you said, before IV became more well-known and we realized it was tolerated in higher doses and things, many of these studies you go back where there was success were only on sub mm -hmm. Yeah, right? that's me. I think in America especially, there's this general feeling that more is always <laughs> and sometimes it is, which leads, I think, to the idea that I think in cancers where there's a larger tumor burden, maybe the cancer's in a more aggressive state with metastatic disease, and you're trying to get more of the apoptotic aspect of mistletoe, which means that part of mistletoe that actually breaks the tumor wall down, kind of like the chemotherapy, then it would probably be advantageous to do some boluses and series of IV mistletoe, especially now that we know we can get some pretty high lectin doses in safely. Mm -hmm. That's usually when I recommend IV. Yeah. Well, I'll definitely also put a link down at the bottom of the notes of this podcast for individuals who are interested in, in finding out sure. more. They can speak to a physician that can actually really look at their case as an individual yeah. and decide what's best. There are other reasons. Yeah. I just, I think you could talk about that all, all, yes. all our potential reasons you could use an IV. Some people like to use IVs just to stabilize reactions to radiation or chemotherapy to do one a week, but not do it as intensively. And they're just responding better to the IV or they're having a hard time tolerating the sub-Q reactions. They're getting little red spots and they're reacting with some strong histamine reactions on the skin. So they prefer the IV. Yeah. So there's a, a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm but it isn't always necessary either. So it's good to point. And, and I know that you touched on this uh, a little bit ago, but one of the things that I was very surprised to hear when I sat in the office and heard for the first time about mistletoe therapy is that there really aren't any side effects. With any medication we take, there's always this full page of risks and what could potentially be a side effect. And that's one of the beautiful things about mistletoe, I feel, is that it can only help you. Share with us what your experience with what patients have had with the side effects. Certainly side effects that are life-threatening or severe or won't go away for a long time, we could say almost mm -hmm. not. Very, very rare. I think there's been two cases of anaphylaxis reported in 30 years a lot safer than Tylenol. <laughs> yes. um, I think interactions have been very low. There are some short-term side effects that can happen at different degrees. Most of them are temporary or pass with time. That's the other thing to remember. So for instance, of course, the local 
histamine reaction, and there's also a dendritic reaction in injecting mistletoe, you can get a little bit of subcutaneous fibrosis, you know, some redness, itching, especially if the dose was a little higher than the patient was ready for. But those will resolve over a few days or a week, and you adjust the dose. But in the first three months of therapies, very sensitive patients can go through a phase where they react fairly strongly, and that usually passes. We try to tell patients that shows you're reacting, that you're getting a good reaction. So it's positive, even though it's a little bit uncomfortable. (laughs) Occasionally, that can lead to eosinophilic reactions. There are some chemotherapies or other natural therapies as well that can kind of activate your eosinophils, a semi-allergic reaction, and sometimes mistletoe can raise eosinophils, and there's some body rashes and things like that that can occur. Again, with a pause, those usually go away with some detoxification and and looking at why someone is sensitive, usually that can be resolved. Mm -hmm. And then very rarely headaches or flu-like feelings. Sometimes if the dose is a little too strong, you feel a little bit like you have the flu, right? When your immune system kicks in and you have a fever Mm -hmm. or a flu, you feel a little heavy and muscle achy and that can happen too. But we don't want that experience to last a long time. If that's very temporary, it's Mm -hmm. fine. But in general, people would feel better on mistletoe. So that can be a sign to make some subtle adjustments if that's persisting. But those would be the main temporary side effects. And usually as you go on in the therapy, and you probably know that too, I believe that that tends to fade as as the body adjusts to the medicine. I had one strong reaction at the very beginning where I had that kind of that rash in my abdomen region where I injected it, but it was only that one, that one time. Yeah. So that was great. (laughs) But on average, I even hear from patients that we speak with that typically it's just a local little reaction, less than the size of a quarter of redness. And that's actually what they want to see, right? You want to see some form of uh, a response so that, you know, corresponds with an immune reaction and a systemic dendritic reaction which, which shows that the therapy is, is active. So you're right. Most people, it's not severe. No, at all. no. And even what you consider severe is not really <laughs> severe, but I think, you know, it's just amazing to me. And I almost feel like when you start a, a new, a cleanse, the first two days you have headaches and kind of nauseous and even starting an sure. infrared saunas. When I started that, I had to do it slowly when I'm detoxing mm-hmm. because your body is healing. And so it's trying to get rid of, in this situation, the cancer that's in your body. And so your body may respond in that way to try and heal itself, which I think is amazing to me. Walk us through, for those who've never been on this journey, they come see you at your office. And how does this process work for them to know or for you to decide what type of mistletoe they go on and what dosage they go on? Explain that first two weeks or so. We spend... Almost two hours on that. Okay. Well, <laughs> Cliff doctors, notes. So I'll try to put that in one minute. Well, even just how. <laughs> I, think, I think the most important thing to say is yeah, that's confusing for patients sometimes. It says viscum or mistletoe, and then what's all these strange names after, <laughs> like Molly and Peeny and Abiatus and Fraxini? And, and those are the names of the tree, which we call host trees, right? So mistletoe is grown on different host trees and then used for different subtypes of cancer. And that can be looked at 
two ways. For a very holistic physician, like who has a homeopathic back background, very much believes in this connection of nature to the human being, like we would see in Ayurvedic medicine or Chinese medicine. The qualities of the tree give a certain quality to the mistletoe where constitutionally or holistically we would connect that with a certain type of cancer. So without explaining in detail, <laughs> Molly is used a lot for reproductive cancers mm -hmm. and Kritegi is used a lot for cancers of the thoracic area and things like that. Or Quercus is used a lot for lung cancer. So that's one way. And the other is just based on the fact that when we harvest mistletoe from different host trees, it has different proportions of active constituents, whether it's the lectins or viscotoxins. And so by virtue of that, we have seen quite scientifically that certain combinations tend to work better in certain cancers. But it's also good to know that you're not limited. It's not that you absolutely have to use the host tree connected with a particular cancer. We use that as a guideline. And then like everything in life, we make some exceptions. Like Fraxini has the highest lectins, which is a certain type of mistletoe. And that's the ash tree. And because it has such high lectins, if a person's having, a, for instance, significant metastasis, we almost always use that in the IV, or we frequently use it in the IV. Or the same thing with Helixor P, which is Peony, and the Helixor brand has the highest lectin. So we might, in an acute situation, just go for the highest lectin temporarily, and then go to the you know, host tree that matches the, the patient's situation. So I hope that yeah. helps a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it does. And do they go on a series still? I know when I first started, I had a box and it was like a series with different uh, strengths. And I was told inject on the certain days for my protocol. And then once I f had a reaction, again, this smaller than the size of a quarter, that was the kind of magic dosage. Uh, is that still the protocol today or, or does that vary between physicians? I think that varies between physician mm -hmm. and patients. Almost all patients start that way in the mm -hmm. beginning with the series. Mm -hmm. Also, some people, once they've been on mistletoe a long time, we found it's good to go back to a series mm. where you're going from lower to higher doses back and forth. And then at some time, sometime maybe in an active stage of treatment, if a person's very stable and doing really well on a certain dose, we may stay on a 50 milligram dose of Helixor for a, a period of time and then go back to a series. So I think there's an art yep. to it as well as a science and different physicians go to the series more often than not. And others will pick a set dose for a while, then go back to a series. Yeah. But almost everyone starts with a series in the beginning for sure. And, and then it just, it also depends on how you're doing. If you're very stable, staying with the series might be a great idea. The idea isn't just to go higher, 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 but the series just kind of keeps an active dynamic in your immune reaction, and that's that's what's desired. Yes, and, and I completely agree with that. It's amazing how it can be prescribed. Right now, I'm on a set dosage that actually increased over the years. In the beginning, mine was a series and continued for a series, I think, for like four four years or so. It's amazing how you can use it in so many different stages of your healing. And so I, I always, you know, tell patients that it's so important to 
to keep speaking to your physician and letting them know what your responses are, because it's not like a medication that says, this is your weight and this is your age, this is your height, and you stay on this. It really varies from time to time. And so you really have to do those check-ins to make sure you're on the best mistletoe for you. And mine just recently changed. I was on Viscomali and now I'm on Iscador. It's amazing, depending on what's going on in your life, that you need to continue that conversation with your physician. And it's good that it changes if you're on it a long time mm -hmm. so that the body sees some different, slightly different proportions of these active substances. It kind of keeps things dynamic, you know, yeah. um, doesn't allow the body or, or the tumor to get used to it. And even if it has your tumors gone, just that the immune system isn't adapting always to the same thing all the time. It, it's stimulating to vary it from time to time. It's funny. My husband's like, I need mistletoe and, and why can't I get on mistletoe? And I know we hear that question a lot. Can you share, is there a time where you can use it for prevention? What do you say to that question? I'd say the same, <laughs> sounds like a safe answer. <laughs> you know, the different doctors give you different answers to that. <laughs> Definitely a long time ago, if you go back a few decades, the physicians would say, no, don't, because we we want you to, you know, be able to have a robust response to mistletoe and the body can form over time some antibodies to mistletoe, which might make it a, a little less effective than when you first started. And so they say no. I think that's gradually changed because there's so many pre-malignant conditions. And if we had that discussion from a holistic <laughs> standpoint, there's many things that we would think as, as pre-malignant that aren't like just cysts or non-malignant tumors. But I think more and more people are using it preventatively. I think we try to use lower doses when we do that, not get into the higher doses so people aren't building tolerances. Mistletoe also comes in homeopathic and very low dose schedules. So I, for instance, would use those preventatively for sleep issues, sometimes chronic mm. pain, arthritic issues, pre-dementia, autoimmune problems, or just people I think are at high risk for cancer. I would just use it preventatively in these low doses, but always adjuvantly, meaning yeah, you've got to do the other things that are preventative to improve your health with diet, exercise, and working on your psychological soul health as well. And it really should be part of a, a whole picture, not just, oh, take the medicine and that's all you got to do. So important. So important. And I'm glad you brought that up. And I always like to share that is that mistletoe is not the magic bullet. And people say, I just want mistletoe. You know, it he helped heal you. And it was just one part of my healing, I always tell people it's almost like that trivial pursuit piece that has many different wedges and that's our, our body. And there's the spiritual component. There's an emotional healing component. There's the physical, the eating. There's so many aspects that it's never just one thing, but it's a beautiful, very powerful therapy that can be used in conjunction with the other things that are in your protocol. I, so glad you said that so that I could share that on this podcast. I'm glad you also said the part about preventive because I, I really feel there's such uh, power in being able to be proactive about your health as well. With my family, with colon cancer decimating my father's side, I'm probably the first one that survived it. My father was diagnosed at 37. He died at 39. 
his mother and half of her siblings died of colon cancer. It's something that's genetically in my body, in our family line. I know what triggered it. I know that with cancer, there should be no fear because you can do things preventatively to prevent that switch from turning on, which is what I'm doing for our kids. And one of the things that we started to incorporate probably in the last three years is using the aviatus, which is the gentlest form of mistletoe as prevention for my kids as they've gotten older and try and make it manageable for them. My kids right now are from the ages of 19 all the way up to 27. So once a year in the summer, we all have them do a series and it just helps their immune system to kick in. It's just such a great thing for them to to know what mom does all year round, <laughs> but they feel good about it. And I think that it really helps them we'll work that case study to see how this is going to impact them in the future. Before we close, many people know my story, but I, I was wondering if as a physician that's treated so many with mistletoe, is there any stories that stand out to you? Probably one of the most dramatic cases was uh, a woman I treated on Long Island who had melanoma, who we treated for quite a while. She decided not to do conventional therapy. We used a form of mistletoe called Abnova and Fraxini from the ash tree for quite a while doing injections. And then I didn't hear from her. I just didn't hear. She was what you call lost. <laughs> then one day, I think five, seven years later, she pops up calls me up and says, oh yeah, I just, did I ever tell you that the melanoma went away and <laughs> I, I'm doing great and I'm going to write a book about it. I'm going to put you in the book. That's amazing. That was 21 years ago. I found that story so amazing because I just thought she stopped taking it, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe it didn't work. And then so many years later to have her come back and, and say that I think was quite amazing. But that of course is an extraordinary case. It's just really encouraging. And we have several other testimonials and stories of patients that have shared at our past dinners and people can log on to believebig.org to hear those. You can read more of the scientific studies and the patient stories that are shared in their book. Again, it's called Mistletoe and the Emerging Future of Integrative Oncology. I'm so thankful that all of you got together to write that book and put all this knowledge in one place. Stephen, I just want to thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy day to speak to us. I know that this podcast is going to be an encouragement to so many. If I could mention real quick, the book is nonprofit. Mm. None of us are benefiting yep. from the book. All the proceeds will go to support mistletoe-related education, training, I research. love you guys' heart. Thank you guys so much, and have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Ablis. Thanks for having me. Nice to see, see you. See you soon. enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support our podcast, please subscribe and share it with others. Be sure to visit believebig.org to access the show notes and discover our bonus content. Thanks again and keep believing big.